What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network. We're chatting about a very unsung film today, V for Vendetta. Maybe is, is it the best Alan Moore adaptation in a film? I think it quite possibly is. We're going to break the whole thing down for you guys. We'll see you in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! Oh, there it was, there it was. If there's a day in my life this song doesn't get me hyped up, I don't know what it'll be. You're not living anymore. (laughs) This song should have been in V for Vendetta. This should should just be in, like, they should just try this out in every movie. Does uh, Still Dre work? I don't think anyone's going to call us to direct their films. (laughs) We're going to put Still Dre in. Uh, uh, yes, I'm so excited. It's so rare that we get to talk about a film that you've never seen yeah, or that I've never seen. Occasionally you know? this happens, We actually, and I actually had held out for 100 episodes watching this movie. You've talked to me a lot of times about how much you like it. Yeah, I love this yeah. film, and I was jealous, so <laughs> I had to watch a film yesterday that I've never seen, which was Casablanca. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is so cool that you got to watch that movie. I know. I can't believe I've never seen it. Isn't it good? It's so good. I think the word... We're just going to talk about Casablanca. Uh, the word... Curveball. <laughs> it's our show. Uh, is charming. I think it's yeah. one of the most yeah. charming films I've ever seen. That and then La La Land is, is very, very yeah. charming as and they've well. got And they've got like that same sort of old Hollywood... Yeah. I, I think Casablanca defines old Hollywood better than any movie. It's just It just feels... It feels so much like those movie stars feel like they're what classic movie stars are. Yeah, and Humphrey Bogart is just so great. He's just so Talking great. Like He's very still. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, uh, all right, guys. We're back to talking about V for Vendetta now. Um, so, guys, we talk action movies on the show. This is the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking pop culture by the bucketful. And, uh, yeah, we're talking V for Vendetta. It's There's only a few times in this show's history where this has happened. The Patriot was a film I had never seen. You had basically never seen Tombstone or Point Break. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it happens occasionally, but not too often. And when it does, it's exciting. It's we, very exciting. Um and I think I mean, we got a lot. We got a lot of really great segments today. I think people really love this film, and it is like a total cult classic action film. But it's incredibly relevant today. I yeah, think. super relevant today. Yeah, I think cult classic is a great word to describe it, which is weird because it had a pretty big budget and it made quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a pretty big star at the time, even though he it was a weird it was a weird star. Everyone knew who Agent Smith was. Yes, everyone had right. seen The Matrix. Everyone but knew Elron. Yeah, totally. But not everyone knew. Oh, Ron Hubbard? Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone knew uh, his name. I don't understand the reference. I don't either. <laughs> Scientology? <laughs> uh, so, yes, we, we are chatting V for Vendetta, and I think there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, first and foremost, guys, we should remind everybody here, follow along on Twitter. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. You can find the podcast at AMA Podcast. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find our Facebook fan page, which is now over 400 members, quickly going to five uh, on Facebook, it's Action Movie Anatomy fan page. Yes, absolutely. And guys, we wanted to uh, give a, a brief send-off to thank Marina for everything she did on the show. Yes. She's headed back to school, and uh, we, we had a great time working with her, giving her fun titles every week. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you guys interacted and enjoyed her on the show as well. We got so much love for her on the show, so thanks for everything. Yeah, we're going to really miss her point of view, and hopefully maybe in the future she can come back and guest or something like that. But uh, yeah, schedules and, and growing up and adulting and life and all that. So Yes, absolutely. Moving on. So, uh, all right, guys, we are going to get into the show. We cover action movies on the show. Those movies that we cover adhere to four basic rules. Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Well, it's a dual hero. 
he definitely plays by his own rules. Yeah. Right? Rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, whatever, in the room. Definitely. He's the smartest guy in the room, always. Yeah, and the Chancellor is, I mean, he's just like pure evil with so much power. What's the line? But like, not He's a lot. as evil as he is cunning. As he is cunning. <laughs> a photographer with an eye for beauty. Uh, yeah, so... Definitely. I think I think it follows both those rules. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. This one misses. He's not any of those I things. I feel like we should start throwing like a militia in there someday. Sure. You know what I mean? Pretty much just make it that the rule three always hits. So yeah. if we miss, we always cover it. it. it they have to be a person <laughs> or animal or creature. And rule number four, there is at least one explosion. The movie pretty much opens on a huge explosion and closes on a huge explosion. Uh, explosions, by the way, that they built those sets uh, down to like one-tenth. Yeah. Uh, and then they did the whole thing where they make them look fantastic. Yeah, they look great. They really do. They look really, really They're, good. Do you, cool. This movie holds up really well. It does, yeah. I, I think it really does. The one thing about this movie that I thought was strange was I never, I never entirely bought in on V. Like I was never totally in on V being like really a badass. Like not like not like I didn't buy in like V wasn't a badass. But like I could see I could see where the space existed between V being like the badass that I wanted and V being the badass that appeared in the movie. And it was only like ten percent. Okay, I can I can see that. There was just like these moments where I was like, I don't know. Like it's just it just feels like it's an old dude in a suit with a weird vaudeville mask. Really? Oh my god! I just I mean I think that's one of those things is like. This illusion of grandeur that you have when you're young, when you sure. see something, and right. like going back and watching, I'm like, oh yeah, he's still so awesome. I mean, definitely very cool. I, I in no way do I mean that like he wasn't awesome because I did think this movie was awesome. We got a uh, uh, a Roxy Stryer in the chat, Bateman. Can Roxy's in the chat. She's in the chat. Look oh. how excited he got. Yeah. Hey, hey, babe. Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's tease our segments. Let's get in the trailer. Let's go. Uh, all right, so. Uh... Uh, sorry, just brain fart. Now I'm being watched by Roxy so Schreier. nervous. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> Put them down. Uh, we got a big show coming up for you guys today. Among the things we're going to be covering, we've got some AMA questions submitted by the fans via Facebook and Twitter. We have over overrated, underrated, or properly rated for Hugo Weaving. We have a recast. If this film was made today... Who would play the iconic character of V? Who do we think has the gravitas to play that character uh, to, that has all of the charm and, and that voice? And finally, we'll be talking about the faceless greats, people who brought a tremendous amount of greatness to their role while only seeing their face a little bit or not at all. And uh, those are some of the segments we're going to be doing today. So let's get into our first segment of the day. Before we do, let's cue the trailer. For sure. So I wish I was he's not a badass, the so they time, agree with but... you. I am. <laughs> People Crown should not be afraid of their governments. <laughs> governments should be afraid of their people. Those caught in violation of curfew will be prosecuted without leniency or exception. He has a sweet villain voice, huh? the Chancellor. Yes, he does. John Hurt, one of the great, one of the great villain voices ever. I found it strange that in the first encounter in the alley there, he takes those guys down, but there's very little blood or violence. It almost looks like he pushes them into the wall or throws them. Yeah, and then the movie went on. He just like slices people up. Understand what terror really like means. Very, well, well, yeah, we'll talk about We're it working on several leads. Her parents were detained when she was 12. It was like those black bags erased them from the face of the earth. 
You have one chance. I love Natalie Portman. You must tell us so the much. whereabouts yeah. of Codename V. She's gorgeous. Yeah, she's incredible. If our own government was responsible for the deaths of 100,000 people, she's got a pretty know. sweet career. Those who are responsible will be held accountable. The time has come for you to live without fear. I'm ready. This convict stands on the edge Good of the trailer. Oh, six. It's about, it's about the right time. Kill him. They had to have uh, 20 or no, 10 professional domino setter uppers. Dominists. Uh, setting that domino set for 20 hours before. <laughs> Just to push it down for the trailer? Is, is it in the movie? movie? Yeah, it's oh, in the movie. yeah, it's in the movie. I remember right now. I but it's a strange moment in the movie because you're like, did V really just set up all of these when dominoes in the shape this? of a V? I mean, he does just like live underground. I know, for a long but time. like, it's, they took 10 people 20 Look, hours. man, don't <laughs> discount the guy, okay? <laughs> Yeah, super speed, super speed stacking. Uh, so, guys, that was the trailer for V for Vendetta. Uh, I did forget, by the way, to tease something in in our teased segments, and it's exciting. So, before we get fully into oh, these statements, I want to let you guys know: next week, we are going to, to for the very first time ever be covering an action comedy. We're doing it. We've We're talked about it for years. There's a small list of ones that we've talked about a lot of times on here, guys, and we are going to be covering one, so we'll be teasing those at the end of the episode, probably putting them to vote, but stay tuned Did for you the remember pitch. The, the fourth one? No, but maybe, maybe I think we'll three is good. Three is good. Those if we come up with that fourth one, we will. But yeah, those yeah. three that we that we have in mind, if you guys are diehards of the show, you'll definitely know. Uh, it's exciting. Thanks. Those three in question. So, uh, all right, guys, let's get into the thesis statement. This is that, that thing, that thought, that bold opinion you have about the film that you really would defend till the end. And you kind of want it when you have a, get into a conversation about this movie. Let's say you're at a party. You say, you know, the thing about V for Vendetta is this. And uh, I think it's... Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's definitely the strongest thought about it. It should be rooted in hyperbole. Bold, absolutely. Big. It should be the one thing that you walk away from this movie and you're just like, yes, this is the thing that I believe the strongest about this film. Yes. So, my action movie anatomy thesis statement for V for Vendetta is: this film's legacy suffers the most from the time in the Wachowskis' career that it was released. So, what I mean by that is this: this film came out. And it's not even directed by the Wachowskis, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's only produced by the Wachowskis and written by them. Yes. It's actually directed by James McTeague, and it was his directorial debut. But it came out as the film that was released immediately after the third Matrix film. And I'll tell you, that third Matrix film was a bomb for most people. It made the least money of the three. I didn't even see it in theaters. In fact, I don't know that I've ever seen the third Matrix film now that I think of it. I never wanted to. The first Matrix was such a just an amazing movie. The second Matrix was a good movie. Yeah. Not great. And the third Matrix was just forgettable to most people. So this came out so close after, and it was billed as the next film by these, uh, at the time, brothers, now sisters, that I think that there was a, a general resistance to wanting to give this film the sort of, like, cultural credit that it eventually got, and it really deserved, because it's a much better movie than people remember it to be. Yeah, that, that's interesting. All right, so so my action movie anatomy thesis is that... It's almost contradictory to yours, but in, in a very different way. So you're saying it, it, it suffered from the time it came out in the Wachowski's career. Um, 
but I think that this movie couldn't be more relevant than it is now. You know what I mean? So it's not really contradictory, but it's just like it's like the same thing in a different in a different way. Sure, right. I think that this movie is literally at its peak of social relevance, and I think it's almost scary um, to watch this film. And I think a lot of people agree with that because of what is going on in our government. And this isn't a political show, and I'm not going to get into that. No, but I think by just telling you what my thesis is and what this movie's subject matter is, you, totally. you can understand what I'm saying. Um, I don't know if this movie will ever get more important than it is at the moment that it is now. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, it's amazing looking back at it to 2005 when this film came out. The feeling of crisis in our country with the state of our government at the time um, felt like we were up against it at the time. Yeah. (laughs) However, it doesn't even begin to compare, I think, to the feeling that most of our country has now. Which is, it's, it's crazy that it could actually be... You know, people talk about that time now, like as though it was, it's sort of like this light-hearted thing. We were all just like laughing about, you know, George Bush making making a joke, making an ass of himself on TV. Yeah, uh, it's a very different situation now. It's legitimately frightening now. It's horrifying and, now, and, and like you wonder if if like extreme measures like this, like I know that's going on in the minds of a lot of radical people out there, and it's it is it's terrifying. And um, I think that you're right. This film has never been more relevant than it is now. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, so those are the thesis statements we have for this film, guys. We are going to get on. Oh, you know what? Actually, there was, there was a question here asked by uh, two listeners of the show, Richard Eric Jarvie on Facebook and Felix Alvarez. Uh, this cut off here. I'm assuming it's via Twitter. Yeah, it's on Twitter. And uh, the question was, how would this film fare were it released today? If this film came out today in 2017 as a summer release... Uh, really, honestly, you could do the exact same <coughs> cast. You could put, you could still put Natalie Portman in the same role. You could still have Hugo Weaving in the same role. It could be the same movie, actually. Really? Yeah. No, it, it could totally be the Except same role. R.I.P. John Hurt. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but Roxy liked my thesis more than yours. Thanks, Rox. <laughs> uh, it's funny because her thesis, I was going to shout you out, was that um, it was basically the same as mine. And I know that if she was on the show, she would have went before me. She would have stolen yeah. it like she always does. <laughs> So I'm glad you're not here, but I'm glad you're in the chat. Uh, now I lost my train of thought. Let's just move on. Messing us up today, Rox. Just throwing <laughs> us off. I get so nervous. I'm start sweating soon. Um, so let's get into our next part of the show, guys. This is fist pump moment. It's that moment where something happens in the movie. You look around. You're like, are you seeing this right now? Or you just get that feeling. It's just like, oh, this is so good. I can't believe I get to watch the rest of this movie right now. And for me, the one, my, my fist pump moment for this film was... Not like an exciting action moment. Okay. It was actually the sequence when she's in the cell. So and, good. And she finds the, the toilet paper. And it's the flashback. And the sequence probably lasts about four to six minutes or something like that. But it feels like a miniature film inside the film. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most effective part of the whole movie. And there's a lot of reasons. Um, it, it parallels a lot of real life horrible history in in our country and other countries history obviously memories of the holocaust things like that the idea of being taken and you know if you don't stand up for someone who will stand up for you when you're taken all those things you hear yep. and there was so much of that in that scene there was so much sadness there was also the fact that she she falls in love with a woman and that they and they show that relationship and the sort of crisis of identity that this film the crisis of identity that this film is so much about with like the characters like um Stephen Fry, yeah. his character, he's and great in this. Yeah, he is. And then what we what we uh, discovered years later with the Wachowskis 
with they are now the Wachowski sisters, like you can understand so much of what this probably this movie and the narrative me- meant to them when they were making it. Interesting. And I, I all of that just was really like hitting home for me while I was watching this, and I thought that that scene it really really made me feel something. So I thought that scene was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I I really get that. And it's so funny what your fist pump is because you're 29 years old watching it for the first time. Yeah. And my fist pump is just it's so it's when, so rem- when V fucks a bunch of dudes up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> It's when, uh, it's the beginning. It's so awesome. It's like the beginning, you see the mask and then all the stuff that goes down. But really what it is, it's when the building blows up. Yeah. In the beginning with the music. She's like, are you a crazy person? Yeah. And it's just like the music and the vibrato and it's like the the crescendo of everything happening all at once. And the mask, even when you see the mask the first time, it's just all awesome. I I agree with you on that part. That almost was my fist pump. Because it's pretty, it does catch you a bit by surprise. Like I didn't see it coming because I didn't know what this movie's about. Uh, and yeah, the building starts exploding and he's, and cause before that, again, it's like I said, he's sort of this, like, he's a cool character, mm-hmm. but it's a little much at first, all of the V's and that whole initial conversation. There's so much. You can't even really understand what the hell he's saying. It's, he's talking so fast. Like yeah. you're kind of like, what is this movie? Am I in this movie? I don't even like, what's he saying? Do I need to rewind this right now? Yeah. And then the building blows up and you're like, okay, got it. He's like this kind of crazy. It's, he's a different character in this movie than he is in the book. Um, significantly different. Okay. The book really Have you is... read the book? I think I read, like... I think I read it, or, I, like, I read half of it or something as a kid. I was mostly reading this morning about the difference, though, in the, the approach to the film. Because, and we'll get into this in just a minute, but... This is a cool... I got a couple of cool things in here. Uh, Fist Pump, Richard, Eric Jarvis saying that, that he loves the Count of Monte Cristo references, which yeah. you and I love that film so much. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple people agreeing with mine. This is interesting. Someone's thesis, or I'm just going to say it's his thesis, is... Uh, is V male or female? It makes no difference. You know what I mean? point. Yeah. yeah it, like it, I mean, really, it doesn't. Like the voice clearly defines that it's a male. I think. Yeah. But it doesn't maybe. have to. Yeah, it doesn't have to. Be. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's an awesome thesis. I never even thought about that. Yeah, that's rad. So I want to get into a fun little segment that I thought about here, and, and I think someone actually, uh, yeah, it was Paul Oyama I think, okay. on Facebook. On the Facebook group, and he kind of just threw this out there. And he's big like, shout, guys! If you propose segments on the Facebook group and the Twitter, they make it on the show now. Oh, we've There's, got. There's so many of them now that we get to bring almost all of them onto the show in one form or another, one week or another. So get on that Facebook group. Go join it. Yeah. Uh, it's the conversation. It's like 30, 40, 50 comments long on every, on every thread. Yeah. Every segment that we're doing today is inspired by fan discussion on either the Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Paul was talking about the faceless greats, people that are just like, you don't see their face much. You don't see it at all. Yeah. But they are incredible in their performance, and they are memorable. And uh, and who, who are some of your favorites? I mean, going back in time, you have so many. Darth mm-hmm. Vader is one of the oh, Vader. He's, How, he's maybe the all-time greatest. Honestly, just it's the most. He's the most iconic villain in the f- history of movies. It's so funny. You and I were just riffing this before the show. We didn't even mention it. Yeah, it just came to me right now. He's, he's, we would have been idiots <laughs> if we didn't say that. I mean, I think on that AFI 100 Heroes, 100 Villains list they made like 10 years ago or whatever, uh-huh. he's the number one villain of all time uh, in the history of movies. And I don't think it's... Was, was Lecter 2? It's always... They're, they're always pretty like high, one and pretty two. Pretty high, yeah. I mean, he, it's pretty defensible that Vader is. He's... You know, the Emperor is more evil, but Vader is just such an effective villain. Oh, he's one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah. so... You know, that's a pretty amazing one. I mean, I, th- I think more recently we have Bane, you know, Tom Hardy. Oh, acting yeah. with his eyes Bane. so Dead- much. Deadpool? Yeah, I mean, he's not a villain, but yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, um, yeah. Tom Hardy and his eyes. He, even with, in Dunkirk, he does the same thing. And Locke, it's not just his eyes, it's his face, but he's just sitting in a car the whole time. Uh, another interesting Alan Moore, or Rorschach. Yeah, totally. Jackie Earl Haley. Great actor. He's great. He I was so him. good in London Has Fallen at that conference table. Yes, he was. And in <laughs> Little Children. Ooh, 
Weird. <laughs> Uncomfortable. Uh, and then I got a couple because I just had to throw a couple uh, horror ones in there. Yeah. The original Scream villain was oh, always terrifying. Sure. And, Big uh, shout out to Marissa Serafini. Yeah, Marissa, that one Marissa our way. threw that actually to us. How you doing, Marissa? There she is. She's so quiet in the headphones. I can barely hear you. Gentle touch. She said she's doing great, gentlemen. Uh, Kaiser Soze is one, and someone just said Gollum, which is super interesting because you had another one thinking Caesar. Yeah, I was thinking. I just was in general thinking that Andy Circus. Um, You've never. It's like you never see Andy Circus's real face. No, I think you see more of. I mean, definitely Gollum is very CGI. Gollum looks nothing like Andy Circus. Yeah. Um, I mean, you do actually see Andy Circus acting in the movie when the you flashback. Do. Yeah. Um, but but as Caesar, I think it's almost more effective because. You never really get any sense of the person under there, but you do get his movements. Mm-hmm. You get the shape of his face, and when you see those pictures side by side of him doing the motion capture as Caesar and Caesar's face and that sort of frown, there are such similarities in the facial structure. So I do think it kind of acts as a mask. Yeah, and he's so good as Caesar. Like, my God! Like after the- wa- after like having to watch all those movies again <sighs> last month, so good. Such a good trilogy. I mean, that's a very mem- I could. That's like one in ten years I'll want to go back and watch the trilogy totally. again, and I'll just be blown away at how good it still is. Yeah, I also got to throw in a j- Joyride. The candy cane. I've never seen that I film. know you haven't, but the, the villain of Joyride, his voice is awesome. I know Marissa's there with me. And then <laughs> Gladiator. Even though you see his face throughout the whole movie, that yeah. moment when he's wearing the mask yeah. and it's revealed to the Emperor is, is awesome. So if you guys have other great faceless greats, throw them up in the Facebook check, throw them up on Twitter, yeah. hashtag faceless greats, why not? That sure. fun. Hashtag faceless greats. Why the hell not? Why the hell not? Um, so, and that does remind me actually just a little bit there, guys. Watch out for us on the Movie Trivia Schmodown team oh. tournament. Our match got pushed by a couple days. because did? Well, yeah, because the, there's the Glow match going on this Friday now. Uh, they've got the, all the chicks from Glow. Actually playing against each other. Oh, damn I think it. with right. Stacy and Brianne, or maybe or other team captains, or something. That, that they just announced it. That's so, super awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So the tournament got pushed by a couple days. I think it all starts next week. So uh, our our first match airs somewhere early in the week. And uh, yeah, guys, you gotta just you gotta just uh, you gotta watch it, watch it, and, watch and it. Uh, hope we get a second match. Because <laughs> yes, seriously, there's some some really good competitors in there. So uh, let's move into the stars of this film. Yeah. Interesting. Hugo Weaving is, is one of those. Uh, the movies before this, he did uh, Return of the King in 2003. There you go. Uh, and then he did Peaches in 2004 and Little Fish in 2005. And I'm not familiar with the, the later two. Latter yeah, two. me neither. I mean, let's be honest. Hugo <clears throat> Weaving was somebody whose career was built entirely on these, these very, very, these seminal, iconic sci-fi characters. Mm-hmm. Um, beginning with Agent Smith in The Matrix yeah. uh, in 1999. Yep. Um, and... Uh, and obviously continuing to play Agent Smith and then playing Elrond in the three in the three Lord of the Rings films. For those of you, like, some people don't remember that that's who he is, but he plays uh, Liv Tyler's dad. He's, yeah. like, the head, head elf in those movies. And, and then he showed back up in The Hobbit movies, too. Uh, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um... And then, of course, in this film... And, and, and Transformers is the voice of Megatron. Oh, yeah! Yeah. Right, right, right. And then, and then recently, actually, and this was kind of came as a surprise, he was in Hacksaw Ridge. Exactly. And, and, and we're going to get into this discussion that I, that I want to talk about. He's that. awesome in Hacksaw Ridge. Fantastic. He's so good in that movie. He's, his performance is heartbreaking. Yeah. So Hugo Weaving, definitely, like, I, I, this, was a, this was a big moment in his career. I do think that, again, it's just so strange, like... Casting Hugo Weaving specifically, where 
he isn't like a leading man, leading villain type of character. He's like this very like sort of Shakespearean character actor that was known for these specific roles and you put him in a mask. Yeah. So much about this movie, it was just very hard, I think, for the general audience to understand what they were getting into. Yeah, and it's like that level of um, vibrato and I think kind of like that he, the fact that he's just a ter- he's like a terrorist. He is a, he is a, a civil terrorist, a domestic terrorist. Well, that's what the major difference in the comic book versus the film was. Interesting. It's, it's written basically with him as an anarchist. His goal is anarchy. His goal is not. It's not this like, you know, fascism and, anar- and, and anarchy. Those are words that are thrown around a lot in the comic book. Whereas in the movie, it's a much simpler story of uh, basically a man seeking revenge to take down a corrupt government and and get the citizens to rise up against this corrupt government. Right. Uh, and its story is a lot less that in the comic. The story is much more. He is really more of a terrorist. It's actually interesting too. Uh, Rogue One, the major rewrites for that movie, and the reason that that movie people complain that the two main characters are not built out as characters. Yeah. It's because she's supposed to be a terrorist in that movie. She's supposed to be much, much more villainous, much more, like, way more of an actual terrorist against the... Uh, no, in, in uh, Rogue One. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And when they rewrote the film, they took a lot of that backstory away because they wanted her to feel much more like, you know, a Disney leading lady, uh, and the movie suffers for it. And I think in some ways, I don't know if this movie would be better or worse without it, but there was a lot of complaints coming on Mal- Alan Moore's side that they had changed the character so much to make it, you know, a more palatable lead, effectively. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, when you think about when it came out, you can't just have a terrorist blowing shit up. Yeah, it wasn't you know, a good time for that. Four years after yeah. 9-11. So uh, moving on to Natalie Portman, her career is really interesting as well. So she did Domino 1 in 2005. Don't know that movie. I don't either. Star Wars 3 Revenge of the Sith in 2005 as well, and then Free Zone in 2005. And so this is a really interesting point in her career because she could have... Natalie Portman's been around forever. Yeah. And she's one of the greatest action-supporting characters ever. Yep. In, in that, in, in Leon, in, you know, the Star Wars movies. There was an, another film that I was just trying to re- think of the other day that she was in um, as, as a supporting a, in, in a great action film. Uh, Heat. I mean, she's she's the daughter. Uh, yeah, she's yeah, the daughter she's also in Heat. Heat. Yeah, so wait, what was that, Marissa? She's in Thor. Thor, she's in right. Thor. That was the one I was trying to think. God, I just really don't like those movies. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really think that we need to have an over-under properly discussion on Natalie Portman. She's won an Oscar. She's fantastic. She is... yeah. Excellent in everything she's in. Hugo Weaving, what's up? No, no, I was, yeah, oh, Hugo Weaving, oh, I was like, yeah, Hugo Weaving, though, over under proper is a super interesting discussion because this is a guy that's never been nominated for an Oscar and he's played some of the greatest, most iconic characters ever in the last 20 years of film. So let's pose the question, guys Is Hugo Weaving overrated, underrated, or properly rated in the context of his full career? I mean, the characters we're talking about, the level of iconography in sci-fi fantasy, they're mm-hmm. huge characters. I mean, like, Agent Smith, one of the all-time villains. I, I think when we used to rank all of our heroes yeah. and villains, I'm pretty sure he was top five for both of us. Definitely. Very memorable villain. Uh, and that movie's so good. Still, The Matrix is so good. Um, Elrond. I mean, those movies are some of our favorites ever. Another great character. He plays the Red Skull. And he's oh, great yeah. as the Red Skull. I watched uh, uh, Winter Soldier again, finally. Great, right? I've only seen it once. It actually is very, very good. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's better than Civil War or not. Um, I, I, I kind of like it a little more because Civil War gets a little like muddled with so many characters. But I think that the Captain America trilogy is a really great trilogy. Yeah, so get to your point. Yeah. So uh, t- talking about, though, just like his whole career, you know, and, and we mentioned Hacksaw Ridge where he's so good recently. And he did not get nominated. No, he didn't. No. Um I would say Hugo Weaving has to be considered underrated. I think everyone in the chat, they do. And, and so do I. 
I think the only way that Hugo Weaving could be properly rated is if he got an Oscar nod for Hacksaw. That's the only way. And the reason that I say that is because you just mentioned all these roles that he's played. He's had an excellent career, one of the yeah. greatest careers of a character actor that there is. And, and then, you, yeah, you throw something in like, oh, yeah, he's Red Skull in Captain America. Yeah, right. I totally forgot that. And, you know, he's, he's uh, what was the one that I just did for you? The voice of Megatron Transformers, yeah, right. you know? So I, I think that the only way that he's properly rated is if he gets that nod for Hacksaw because that performance is so great. Yeah, and he, it's also one of the only times that he's been put in a movie where he's a grounded character in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't get to play those characters very often, and Hacksaw is just a real character. It's a war veteran who's just got PTSD, and he's just just broken. Yeah, and I actually don't think that the other characters that he plays deserves Oscar nominations. Are the ones that I've seen. I don't think that Megatron gets a voice. Not I don't think he, you know I don't think that uh, Agent Smith even gets one. Sure, yeah. Even though he's fantastic, and then V, I think is too fantastical yeah. to get one. So I think that Hacksaw was really the time that he deserved it, and and he didn't get it. So I I think. I firmly believe he's underrated. I could have seen Agent Smith getting a supporting nod, maybe. It, maybe, maybe, but, but it was too early. People didn't really... I don't think people recognized how much of a classic that movie was going to become. Mm-hmm. I think people thought it was a cool action movie. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would say we all are in pretty much in agreement that Hugo Weaving's underrated. Yeah, the chat completely agrees. And there's also a lot of you guys in there talking a lot today, so super happy to see you in there. Um, so let's get into production development, a little bit of how this movie was made, where it came from. So I talked a little bit about the... I talked a little bit about the source material and, uh, you know, this movie. There was a script for this film written originally in 1993, uh, and it appeared on a Los Angeles Times list of the top unproduced scripts in Hollywood at the time. Because this is a a comic book from the late 80s. Yeah. So, uh, talking about the writers, the Wachowski brothers then, who are now the Wachowski sisters, wrote this, they wrote this film, and it's adapted from an old Alan Moore, David Lloyd comic book from the late 80s, published by Vertigo. So for those of you who are wondering, Vertigo is owned by DC Comics. Vertigo is the, that's the press that did Sandman, Preacher, a lot of these kind of a little bit, like there's a comic called Fables that's very famous. Mm -hmm. These are all comics that are sort of like these alternative stories. They're, they're not like your traditional superhero stories. They're a little bit more like Hellblazer, um, stuff that's kind of supernatural, maybe a little bit of cult. And Alan Moore wrote this for Vertigo Comics. Alan Moore also wrote Watchmen for those of, for people keeping track, and that's like the one that <clears throat> when a lot of people say that this is the greatest, yeah. they say that is instead. He's he's basically, I mean, it's a little different by today's standards because the guys that were his peers continued doing so much work, and Alan Moore doesn't really do as much work anymore that's relevant. But he's done so many important pieces of the genre. He's usually considered like the OG, the greatest comic book writer of all time. Right. But he's this crazy British dude. So he he wrote From Hell, which was turned into a film, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was turned into a film, Watchmen, this. But this was the third one. He's from Lucifer? What? Is that something? Uh TV show. Uh. I don't know if he created Lucifer, but uh maybe somebody says it, I could be wrong. Um what I was gonna say was because From Hell and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen oh two and oh four, maybe? Alright, let's um, come on. <laughs> come on. Uh both had both had uh, been such disappointments to him. They had changed the material so much. He was very resistant to this film being made. And as such, he asked for his credit to be taken off the film completely. He received no money for this. Right, yeah, and it says that he's uncredited, and specifically in our notes. And I, was, I, I knew that you were going to get to the bottom of that. I think that's so interesting. He and gave it's... all of the money that he was going to receive to the artist, to David Lloyd. Well, good for David Lloyd. Yeah. It worked out really well for him. Yeah, there was a whole... I read this whole long thing about it. Apparently... 
Joel Silver had spoken with Alan Moore in like the late 80s about buying the rights to Watchmen and V for Vendetta to make them in films. And at the time, mm-hmm. Alan Moore was excited about it. 20 years later, there was a whole thing published in, in the New York Times like five days before the movie came out where Moore was quoted as being excited about this film coming out. And he was like, retract it, take, you know, take the statement down, that's bullshit, I don't want anything to do with this. Hmm. And Silver was like, 20 years later, I guess he's changed his opinion. Um, so yeah, there was, there was just a lot of controversy coming from the writers of this film. Yeah, and uh, I want to talk about James McTeague, the director of this film, which is it's interesting because I, I always confuse James McTeague with like other famous Jameses and other McTeagues out there. Yeah. Um, so James McTeague is an Australian film director, and uh, he's, he basically got his start in Hollywood from being an assistant director with the Wachowskis. Uh, he worked on Dark City, and then he did the Matrix trilogy and the Star Wars, uh, I think he just did episode two. And then he did this film, um, and he's done many other collaborations with them. Uh, he did Invasion, although he was uncredited, Ninja Assassin, and then now he's doing Sense8 with them, the, the Netflix show. And he's been attached to a bunch of projects that haven't taken off. I read like he's had his name attached to three or four different things. Yeah, they. Uh, I think I have him here at the end. Um, he's oh uh, the, the the main one we want to talk about is, is Bloodsport. He's attached to that, <laughs> and it's, it's not being made yet. Uh, Sweet, but yeah. So he broke onto Hollywood uh, as the second assistant director for No Escape, um, and then he did Street Fighter. And uh, in '96, he worked on a. a a small Australian TV show, and he was, you know, he was doing okay for himself. And, and, and he worked on a, a movie called Paradise Road, and uh, and then he got Dark City. But at the time, Dark City wasn't like it's it not, wasn't what it is another now. cult classic. Yeah. yeah. So again, just working and working, and then the Matrix happens in '99 with the with the Wachowskis, and then it t- that's when his career takes off. He does Attack of the Clones the next year. Uh, and then he does this uh, in 2006. But take off is a pretty is a pretty loose term because... for sure because I mean he got an op- he he got the option to direct a, an exciting film from maybe the two hottest writer directors in Hollywood close to, close it, to yeah, it at the time yeah. even though they'd fallen off a little bit. And then like what happened after that is is exactly your point. Yeah, I think I think it's actually one of the most fascinating parts about this because I have to say I think this movie's quite good and I think it's directed quite well. So, and it was his debut film. Yeah, it's sort of bizarre that he didn't get involved with something else more successful on the film front. Um, with the, I guess, with the people involved, I guess his name was so closely tied to the Wachowskis at that point, mm-hmm. and their next film was Speed Racer, which really was the the beginning of the end of their credibility. They, <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, it's interesting because Sense Eight people love. No. Yeah, but it's a Netflix show. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, like him directing episodes of Sense8, that's a huge accomplishment. And in today's market, you know, premiere shows, that's a big thing. But it's different than, you know, movies that make $200, $300 million in the for summer. Sure, for sure. And I think it's kind of crazy that his next 10 years didn't turn into a bigger, I don't know, just a bigger run of relevant movies. Like even Ninja Assassin, it's like, that was the that was the shot you took? Yeah. Like surprising. It just feels like he would have done something else that charted for us. Yeah, for sure. Because you look, yeah, you, it's a good movie. You look at the rest of his career, and you're just like, "What happened?" Totally. Maybe he's tough to work with, or maybe everyone just said that because it was good again, it was the Wachowskis. Yeah, or so many people think the Wachowskis directed, directed this, this movie. I was yeah. thinking about that. That's like that Tim Burton question. Yeah. If that's you, a tough if somebody one. was to say to me like two weeks ago, who directed V for Vendetta? No question. Like, it's the Wachowskis. Wachowskis. Yeah. Done. Better not said James McTeague. No. 
Um, okay, so uh, moving on, Joel Silver. We've talked about him a lot on this show. Top Gun, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon franchise. One of the greatest alongside Bur- Burkheimer in action movies. Yeah, he's just long time. Huge uh, success story. The other producer on this film, Grant Hill, um, he played for the Phoenix Suns at one point in his career. Just kidding. That's the thing we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, th- he was an Australian guy. His biggest credit ever is that he was a producer on Titanic. This film, he did the second and third Matrix films, and then he has a few other notable credits in The Crow, Thin Red Line, The Tree of Life. Ghost in the Darkness. Um, just like a very interesting direct, uh, producer. He doesn't have an overwhelming number of credits. He's been working since like the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a few movies a year. Even now, he's got two things in production. And like, it's just interesting when you look at that. It's like you would think that being involved in the size of those movies that he would just, he'd be one of these guys that has like nine things on the docket. Yeah, and just like so much money that he exactly can just keep producing good films. Usually when you find decent products. Usually when you find these producers that have that level, like that level of film, like mm-hmm. a Titanic and a Matrix sequels did and you, things like that. Did you see Cloud Atlas? I never watched Cloud Atlas or either. or Jupiter Ascending. I yeah, missed them both. I didn't see those either. I actually would like to watch Cloud Atlas more than Jupiter Ascending. Same, yeah, I don't I have no interest <laughs> watching Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending looked looked bad. But I've heard Cloud Atlas is interesting. Yeah, yeah, people are talking about it. Um I am so curious to get into recast, by the way. Like I really am. I think you know. I mean, there's the obvious go-to, right? Well, I don't know. That's the thing. Is okay. I think there's a few. Um, shout out to my boy Tom Helfrick for uh, throwing up that recast uh, idea. I don't know if he's going to be able to make it through the show. So let's get into critical reception and box office. Because this movie, although being excellent, is overly rated. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that. So this movie cost $54 million to make. It was released released in March of 2006. It grossed seventy million domestic with an additional sixty-two million worldwide for a grand total of one hundred and thirty-two million dollars. So tripling its budget. Um, this was released in March of two thousand six. Yeah, but it's listed Since as a two thousand five movie. Yeah. I always remember it as a two thousand six movie. Always. And last night when I said that, Roxy was like, "You'd lose that one. You'd get that question wrong." And I was like, "Why?" She's like, "It's two thousand five. That's so weird. That is really weird." Um, I wonder why. Yeah, I was thinking that when I was reading in here, too, because it says in 2006, McTeague made the directorial debut with V for Vendetta. Huh. As well. Maybe it was one of those movies that was released earlier at a festival. That happens a lot, like yeah. the previous year. I don't know. Uh, so it opened number one at $25 million, and this is where it gets really interesting. I'm going to actually go Rotten Tomatoes first. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, all critics, top cl- critics, and audience, respectively, give it a 73, 61, and 90, which kind of follows this formula that we found for movies on our show that are really, really enjoyable but aren't, like, classics or, like, super highly critically acclaimed. But then you look at IMDb and it's got an 8.2, which is... Yeah, for me, there's a couple things here. Um, 90's really high. I would say if 80 would feel a little bit more. 82 is, like, what I'd expect because it's a well-loved movie by the audience. 90's really high. I can see, like, an 88 for sure because yeah. of, like, my love for it. Totally. But 8.2 and the 149th greatest film of all time, that's crazy to me. I don't understand how... Like, that's the thing about this list that doesn't make sense is it's an aggregate list that averages together these rankings. And, like, I don't care how good this movie is or how much you're going to convince me this movie is good. 149th all time is outrageous. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Is that 149 would seem so much more earned or, I I guess... uh, I don't even know what the word I'm trying to come up with. Um, if it came out like a year ago, yeah, right. You know what I mean. But it's and been it spoke out on what's for going... twelve years. Yeah, and it spoke on what's happening right now in the government. Someone's like saw Trump running for president. They were like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna make this movie." Yeah, right. And it was like, "Holy shit, you hit the nail on the head." Totally. Then I could see 149. It's just high, and I love this movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. I yeah, I, I don't know. We talk about this a lot because obviously, like ranking a movie properly out of the top whatever is like just a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I don't know where this movie's actually supposed to live. Like, is it the seven hundred fortieth greatest movie of all time? I don't know. But all I know is when you start thinking about how many movies have been made in the history of the world, and I, and I think some of this. You know, there was a criticism of IMDb at one point of the people that were ranking the movies and rating the movies uh-huh. being a lot of, like, comic book-obsessed movie nerds living in their parents' basement. This was, like, a decade ago. This was, like, the common knock on IMDb. Right. That's uh, not the case anymore. No, but unfortunately, at the time this movie came out, and IMDb rising to prominence at the time, this is exactly the kind of movie that would have come out that comic book kids would have, like... This is before the huge run of comic book movies we have now. Right. I mean, look, there's a reason that in Schmodown, when it's pick-your-own-category... Everybody picks comic book movies. There's just something about comic book movies that appeals to, like, the movie-obsessed movie fan. Comic-Con has become the place where movie news is broken for a reason. You know, that's a world that is very familiar with comics. So it's not that surprising that a comic book movie, especially, like, an interesting one that's done very well like this, would be ranked so high. But it just – I I get what you're saying. But it's just a different time, though. Yeah. They hadn't made a lot of these yet. Yeah. It's interesting because it didn't make a whole lot of money, no. so it's like people didn't want to go watch it because maybe they were sick of the Wachowskis. I don't know. That's what, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think I think this movie's cultural significance has suffered. Like for instance, if if I felt like people considered this movie to be what I think it could be, like the quality of the movie, then one forty nine wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel that way. It, like I said before we started the show, it feels like this movie is in most people's mind. Somewhere around the same as, like, Sin City, a cut above Watchmen. Like, that's, like, sort of the vibe this movie has, I think, to me when people talk about it. It's, like, that interesting comic book adaptation I saw that I really liked that I'll always remember fondly but would never make one of my top 100 movies I've ever seen list because, like, how could it? But that's not the case, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it's I don't, I, I, Yeah, I mean, v, v would not make your top 100 for sure, right? Of me, personally? Yeah. No, but I mean, I also very particular, and I just saw it last night for the first right. time, so that's hard to. I wonder if I would, it would make. I think it would take make my top hundred. I, I, I think it might, it probably even make my top fifty. Fifty, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you love this movie. I really and, do love this movie, and, and 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 yeah, again, like the relevance <laughs> to it, watching it is just like Jesus. Totally. it's almost hard to watch. Yep. So, moving on to favorite line, uh, I think you guys can figure out what that is. Uh, what's your favorite line? Because mine is like it's just so it's too easy. There's so many great ones. There's a lot. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of great lines. Um, I, I wish I had it written down because it's misquoting his lines is like it's like impossibly hard insane. not to do. Yeah. Um, but it's like I'm merely remarking at the paradox of asking a masked man what his identity is, yeah, so, exactly. something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I really like that line. I, I love it. It's in the beginning. I mean, it's the it's it, for me, it's that speech. Yeah, the the alliteration of that speech with using the V over and over that consonant to I start. How many with. takes it took? I know, right? It's brilliant. Well, it's interesting because it, it probably, a lot of it was just ADR. I'm it's sure. All ADR. Yeah, Everything. it's all ADR. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So if, even then, you know they cast the different guy. Did you read that? Oh, to move. Yeah. No, no, no. There was a different guy cast for the first six weeks of filming. So a lot of the shots in the movie aren't actually Hugo. Hugo. Mo- he looks tinier in the beginning. Yeah. To me. I don't know why. And. I'm like, yeah, and they, they he left the film. Either he, he left or he was fired. I'm not sure which it was. But uh, at that point, they were like, it's fine. We're just going to ADR everything anyway. Mm-hmm. And when asked about it, McTeague was like, yeah. I mean, I can tell, but I don't think the audience will be able to tell. It's all ADR, everything. They had tried like a contraption with like a mic inside the mask. It didn't work. Yeah. I love that the mask is like iron. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because apparently in the comic book, they uh, some, sometimes at different moments, they would illustrate the mask to have... Like different inflection, like the mask would have you smiling or sad. Like 
And they thought about doing that for the film, like making a bunch of different masks. Oh, that would have been terrible. But in the end, they decided to just try to change it with lighting and all that stuff. And and, voice. Yeah. Like, it was it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so moving on, like, uh, here we are. We're going to recast. This is so interesting to me because this is such a hard character to play, and I'm so curious who everyone has. I'm so curious who you have. Tom, I really want to know who you have because I sent him a text on the way here. I thought I'd figured it out. Yeah. So I'm going to put my top three in. Okay. Because I have three that I really think could do this. And I all for V, right? All for V. Okay. I really love Christoph Waltz. Yes. Because of just the way he speaks. He's incredible. But I just don't think he has the stature to do it. Sure. Whereas, like, Hugo's like a big dude. Is he big? he feels like he's a big sure. dude on screen. Lanky. Whereas Christoph feels like he's tiny on screen yeah. or on camera. Um, and then I also, I mean, I'm just going to throw Bane in there just because. Uh, <laughs> Tom Hardy. But um, the other one I have are Fastbender. I think Fastbender could be. He's really my number one. That's your number one. Because for me, when you said it, <clears throat> it was kind of like, how could it not be Fastbender? Right. He just feels like the obvious. He's got the sharpness to his dialect. Mm-hmm. He's got that confidence. He's got that, like, he's got the accent. The other guy for me that I really liked the idea of was Idris Elba. I oh, love the idea awesome. of Idris. I really Because he's got that. the size. Yeah. And I was thinking how cool it would be to hear Idris... Really go for that very pronounced dialect, and, and, he, I, could, and he can do it with the with the Shakespeare as well. He's a very talented actor. Yeah. Uh, so I had one on the way here, and I was sure it was it was his because I think it was genius. It's Cumberbatch. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Like yeah. he's got it all. And they, he played Khan. Yeah, and we all know he can do Shakespeare. He's got the voice. He did it with uh, why can't it? Smaug, uh, Sm- <laughs> Smaug, uh, the dragon. Like, come on. I think I think Benny Dragon got it. from the Hobbit. Anyone? Dragon anybody? <laughs> he doesn't do that. No. Doesn't. Uh, <laughs> so I really want to know what your guys' recast is. You can just hashtag Master Recaster like we used to do. And yeah. Just let us know who you guys think. Would just really... for Hugo. Just the, yeah. We're not just recasting Hugo. Yeah. Else. And and you don't have to say who won between Ben and I because I don't. I think they're both Fastbender and, and Cumberbatch are both fantastic. Yeah, definitely. But I really am curious to who everyone has. We got uh, who else? We have Kevin Bacon. Um, Clive Owen would be good. Yeah. Hugh Jackman is great. McAvoy. Yep. Um, All Brits. Wait, where is his? I want to see it. I don't see it. Uh, yeah. So we can we can keep going. So yeah, that was the AMA question of the day. Was the inspiration for the recast there? Uh, we are going to get into uh, my outline. Here is muddled. I can't read it. Um, oh, oh Helfrix was t- was Clive Owen. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it, got yeah. It. That makes so much sense. He's. I love Children of Men so much. Can we just do that on the show soon? Yeah, I think so. I think it's reasonable. Not really, really an action movie, but it's got like plenty of action. That movie's great. That movie's. Amazing. We've like hardly talked about the action in this movie. I know a lot of people wanted to talk about the final scene. Yeah, uh, when he kills everyone. When he kills everyone. Yeah, well, I, I wrote some stuff down about that. Um, so a couple things. For, you guys, some of you probably know, and some of you don't know. So David Leach, who directed John Wick, is the stuntman. He's the stunt. Yeah. He's the stunt double for V. So all the action sequences are done by David Leach. Uh, and in fact, the scene when he emerges from the fire is David Leach in a G-string yeah. with just basically fire-resistant gel on his body, literally walking through flames. So awesome. And he would have to cool his body temperature way down before doing the scene so that he didn't, like, burn up, and he did it a bunch of times. Um, there, He does all the scenes, like, in, in that final sequence when he kills everyone. That is so awesome. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Um, like, just I, every part of it is crazy to me. Yeah, like... I, like, sure, I'm going to get naked, and then you're going to throw this flammable, fire-resistant gel, and then we're just going to set you on fire. We're just going to walk through the flames. And the thing about it is that there's no clothes on you, because yeah. you're naked. <laughs> Remember we said that in the beginning, that you're naked? Uh, yeah. Terrifying. Um, so, 
And then, and then that final fight sequence is really interesting because... I love it. Yeah, he's moving at regular speed, and all of the rest of the guys are actually physically moving in slow motion. So that's how they did it, to make him look super fast and them all look like they're normal Without speed. Without having to do the, the thing that a lot of people complain about in Kingsman. Right. The, uh, which is like filming like this and then speeding everything up. Yeah, right, exactly. Know? exactly. So it's, a, it's two different speeds, which I think was pretty interesting. I love, too, that... Uh, I love his armor. I love that he was just like... Yeah. I love that his mask is, is made out of metal, and I love that he just wore like this... Thi- it reminds me uh, of Batman. It always reminds me of Batman when yeah, he right. gets shot. But I just like that, because like, he knows he's going to die. <coughs> he, that's the whole point. Right. Uh, it, it's got to be a Shakespearean tragedy, and it's just... Uh, I, I love. I just love that moment. I love when he's like, "How? Well, how's it going to end?" It's like with my throat or, or my hands around your throat. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was great. awesome. It's awesome. Um, so there are three action movie categories, guys. Those three categories are totally legitimate, totally ridiculous, and ridiculously legitimate. Totally legitimate are movies like Terminator Two and Lone Survivor and. Uh, the Departed, movies that really hold together. They feel like complete movies. You're never really laughing unintentionally. Uh, they don't have any part of them that falls apart. Mm-hmm. Totally ridiculous movies are like Face Off and Demolition Con Air, Man. Demolition Man, like really silly movies, Independence Day Resurgence, Independence Day Resurgence, Independence Day Resurgence. Day Resurgence. Resurgence. Uh, and then ridiculously legitimate movies are kind of the middle category. So that's going to be like Predator, Point Break, um, Speed, you know, movies that we really, like, I think John Wick is, I think John Wick is pretty. Yeah, John Wick is yeah. great. Yeah. And they kind of, there's some, there's some ridiculous moments where you laugh. They're kind of silly. They do make you laugh unintentionally a little bit. But, but overall, totally in it. you're in it. There's some part of that that keeps you super, super engaged. And uh, this one's tough. This is actually an interesting one. Yeah, I think, I, I would I would lean towards totally legit, but for some reason it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel entirely that way. What do you think? Yeah, and like even though it is a comic book film and it's directed by the Wachowskis, so there's like always gonna be that like Matt like that yeah. crazy style and visuals in there, it's I don't know. I think for me, it's got to be in the middle category. Even though I love this film, and I think the performances are fantastic, yeah. I think that the one of the greatest triumphs of it is that it is ridiculously legitimate. That it is like sort of campy kind of a crazy. little bit. Yeah. yeah. And that like she can say things like, you're a crazy person. And we're all like, yeah. Like, we're thinking the same thing, girl. I think I, I think I go totally legit. Totally legit. I think so, because, because none of the things happen in this movie. Like, I don't at any point in time get taken out of the movie by those things. Uh-huh. They all feel intentional. It, it never feels like they're missing the mark. It, like, I think, that, I think that Hugo is, like, right on the edge of being ridiculously legit to me because he's almost too much at times. Yeah. But not enough that it would push it into that category. For me, this movie stands as totally legit. It's right on the edge. Even with the prison thing and, like, keeping her captive for a year and all that. The dominoes are maybe the only thing. <laughs> just dominoes. <laughs> just because. Domino hobby. But I think I think it's totally legit, man. I think it really is. No one agrees with you. Really? Nope. Everybody agrees with you. Everyone agrees with me, including Roxy, who's back in the chat just to disagree with you. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's not one person that's totally legit. But I understand what you're saying. I don't yeah. I don't entirely disagree with you, and I actually think that I I really wanted to say totally legit. But I think a lot of the points that you made about Hugo when you were talking about the beginning of the film and kind of how much much of a caricature he is, even though he's yeah. such a fantastic actor, I think it's like, I enjoy that about it. Like, yeah. that's what I enjoy, is that this movie is it's not fair. totally legit. Totally fair. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's that category, guys. There's only one thing left to talk about on this episode, and it's going to be the pitch. So, as we mentioned, guys, yes. we get to do an action comedy next week. And why are we doing it? 
Uh, there's so many reasons, guys. I think at this horrible moment in our country, at this at this moment with social media just spewing hate everywhere, I think we need to laugh a little bit. Yeah, let's have some fun. Let's man. have some fun. This movie was like way too on the nose. It was for what's way going too on. on the nose. Yeah, I did not realize we were going to get into something that serious. Totally forgotten. Uh, we got a couple predictions already. Someone okay. has already said the other guys. So the other guys is one of the options. Yeah, let's see if the chat can just call out the three that we had in mind. Because they don't have them yet. We uh, talked the other McGruber, guys. McGruber, there it is. Groobs is one of the other options. Yes. And there should be one other that you guys call out immediately. Because they're, they're not doing no, it. No, you guys aren't calling it out? They're not doing it. Oh, crazy. Just do it for them. Tropic Thunder. Thunder. Of course. We just discussed this movie so much on the show. <laughs> and I... I honestly will be so mad if McGruber doesn't win, but I'll be so happy to cover any of the any movies. Of them. I'm positive Tropic Thunder is going to win. Positive. I feel pretty strongly about it, especially because Twitter. We're going to throw up on Twitter. And yeah, like that's going to people love Tropic Thunder. I mean, we love Tropic Thunder. We really do. It got Robert Downey Jr. freaking Oscar nomination. Doing blackface in the 21st century. Amazing, amazing. Uh, and there, we were trying to figure out if there was a fourth movie that we had always had in mind, like we just couldn't remember. Yeah. I felt I felt like there was I think it's Blue Streak with Luke Wilson and Martin Lawrence. Really? <laughs> the film Wild Hogs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought maybe it was uh, a Hot Fuzz was the was the other was one the we other talked one, but, about. But I said Shaun of the Dead today and, and and I think that I think I think that neither of us love those as much as we love these movies. No. Three. Hot Fuzz is like a legitimate action parody. It parodies like Point Break and a lot of these movies. Was it 21st Jump Street? 20 21 Jump Street. She's got mail. She's got mail. Before <laughs> Tom Cruise gets poison ivy on his ass. Uh, was, it, was it that? 21 uh, Jump Street? I don't know, but I'm perfectly happy with the three we yeah, have. I'm good with that. I think it's a good, solid three. I mean, as as we usually do, guys, like with the options we put up last week, all of those movies will eventually get done. All of these will eventually get done. Yeah, definitely. But uh, we are finally putting these three out there because we just... It's going to be a blast. I can't so wait. Fun. So the other guys, McGruber, Tropic Thunder, the way to vote on that, guys, the way to let us know what you want to hear is you go and you join the Facebook group, Action Movie Anatomy fan page, or you go find us on Twitter, at AMA Podcast. We are going to put up the poll with both, all three movies, both places. We're going to average together the results to make sure we pick the movie you guys would like to see. So that's what we're going to do. Put those up, AMA Podcast, find the Facebook group, and of course, you can follow me personally at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you guys can find me personally at... <clears throat> Excuse me, at Andrew Guy, and yeah, like Ben said, this this Facebook page is growing rapidly. We want to get to 500 people by the end of this week. Please invite your friends, invite your family. This show, you guys, you guys, you know, you love it. And then for everyone that uh, provided segments today, I can't find the very oh, there it is, Felix Alvarez. We got Richard Eric Jarvie, uh, Paulo Ayama. We got James Finneran, James Helfrich. Uh, Tom Helfrich. Tom Helfrich. Uh, yeah, guys, th- thank you so much for all your segments. You guys did our, you make our job so easy. Yeah. You really do. It's and, great. And one more time, uh, Marina, thank you so much for all your work. Yes. We miss you. And I um, guess we'll see you guys next week for an action comedy. Yeah. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Spitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.